the afternoon buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Hello and welcome to the show. I am uh, always glad. This is a great uh, week for me in a in many many ways. Yesterday we had a wonderful conversation with uh, Representative Jim McGovern about uh, U.S. Representative Jim McGovern about um, the the climate. Um, portions the historic commitment to uh, doing something about uh, climate change over the next 10 years in the Inflation Reduction Act, about local agriculture, and related topics. And today, uh, I always love talking with Natalie Blay, our representative. I'm a citizen of Ashfield and proud to call her my (laughs) representative. Hello, Natalie. I'm proud to call you my friend, Buzz. And I'm really, really happy to have, you know, worked for Jim McGovern. Uh, I was really lucky to have worked for John Olver when I first moved to Massachusetts and then to have been picked up by Jim McGovern uh, because we're not guaranteed, as staffers, you're not actually guaranteed jobs from one congressional office to the next. And uh, I was very lucky to have worked for both of them. And uh, I'm glad that you had him on yesterday. He's He is a spectacular human being full of heart and love and certainly dedicated to the issues that many of the communities that I serve are, are also passionate about. I think that the operative word in what you just said is dedicated. There's so many, what frustrates me so much about these congressional uh, Republicans who just seem to care about themselves, their future, their electability, their fundraising. Uh, Jim McGovern seems to really just care about helping people. I mean, he just, and it's not just that I agree with his policies, although I generally do. It's that you can tell by the way he talks about it. He's not talking about me, 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 me. It, like you, he's talking about what's best for my constituents. So it's a really important thing. You know, people often, <clears throat> excuse me, people often talk about politicians. And you're a moderator in the town of Ashfield. And I'm a state representative. Our job is being public servants. And our job is working for the people that uh, we represent, you know, our constituents. And sometimes, I like to think that not oftentimes, but sometimes that's that's lost. And it, that is what drives me. It what drives it's what drives Jim McGovern. It's what drives many of the local officials here in Western Massachusetts. It's not about us. Uh, it, I mean, it's not about me. It's about all of us. And, and how we can work together to achieve you know, these common goals, these these goals that we all share and, and want to support one another on uh, so that our communities are stronger. And it's reflected in a number of ways. One way I want to tell you about, we haven't had a chance to speak about it since Tuesday's primary, but um, I'll tell listeners, I, I already told listeners, last week we talked about <clears throat> election security and I described Ashfield, like so many towns around here, how we do it. I have been counting ballots for 40 years <laughs> in Ashfield. When I'm not on the ballot, I'm always there with my wife, Marcine, and lots of friends. And we sit down and we count ballots. And there's a process that we do it to make sure that the security of the election is ensured. And it always is without fail. And I won't go into that again, but I'll tell you this, that um, when we come out to tally we know that it's accurate because we double check each other yeah. and i'm just going to read some 
Um, some numbers here. Astonishingly, we have uh, 460 votes cast in Ashfield, and there's always some blanks on every <laughs> uncontested. I, I, I count the blanks. Yes, I know. Of, of course, so you know. And I, uh, Deborah Goldberg for Treasurer, she got a, a really healthy 335 votes. Sheriff Chris Donnellan got 342 votes. Uh, Mark, Paul Mark, um, who is running to succeed Adam Hines as senator, got one more than that, 343. David Sullivan, DA, got 349. Maura Healy got 346. Jim McGovern cleaned up with 364 and getting the most votes in Ashfield, Massachusetts. Dun, da, da, da. Natalie Blay with 365, <laughs> one more than Jim McGovern. I So thank you. I did not so know poor, that because... Poor Mr. or Ms. Blanks didn't do very well in the Natalie Blay line. Oh, that's that's really, it's really incredible. And thank you to everybody in Ashfield and, you know, all of the other voters who turned up on a really rainy, awful day. Uh, I know that many people cast their votes um, with early voting, which is an incredible thing that we were able to advance in the legislature. Thank the legislature and, for the Votes Act. Yeah, it was really important. So, so important to be able to allow for the opportunity to do that in advance of the election. Um, and then so many people who showed up on Election Day in pouring down rain. And, you know, I was I was in Greenfield, which is part of the new district. I was in uh, Shelburne and Waitley with Representative Paul Mark. I was in Deerfield, Sunderland. I tried to make it out to as many spots across the district as I could. Um, and I was really concerned that the rain would <laughs> have an impact on turnout. Uh, we saw a lot of people out there. And it just speaks to the importance of democracy. I, I think particularly here in Western Massachusetts where we value town meetings and 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 that participation, that collaboration, the, the ability to address some controversial things in the open and have conversations that we might not normally have. Um, and I, you're absolutely right. And as so many states try to uh, suppress voting and uh, try to make it harder to, to have your voice heard, uh, here in Massachusetts, thanks to our legislature, thanks to legislators like you, and thanks to citizens like the ones who were that you're describing who came out. We were trying to make voting easier, reliable, secure, but nevertheless make it easier for people to vote. I'm really glad that registration now we're down to 10 days before an election. I'd like to see same-day registration eventually, but... Um, and let's not forget our town clerks. If I could just, sorry, just give a quick shout out to our town clerks who go above and beyond every single day to make sure that our elections are secure. And, you know, it's a heavy burden. I think that all of our town clerks share in ensuring that our elections are accessible, that they're safe and that they're secure. So here's here's to all of our town clerks. Here's to all our town clerks. And let's talk for just one more minute about about the results of this, uh, at least the Democratic primary. Um, <clears throat> the nominees for the Democratic um, statewide offices, as you say, constitutional offices, we have Maura Healy as governor, Kim Driscoll, lieutenant governor, uh, Andrea Campbell for attorney general. Uh, we have Diana DeZoglio for auditor. I will be honest, I, uh, I voted for Chris Dempsey, but 
I'm perfectly happy with Senator DeZoglio. Uh, for Treasurer, Deb Goldberg. For Governor's Council, we have Tara Jacobs. Uh, it's only Bill Galvin. He is the only male <laughs> in that array that I just read. We are coming a long way where we're, rep we're recognizing people for the merits that they bring to the position rather than just are they manly enough to hold down the job. I think uh, I'm, I'm really proud of uh, our state and our region in that regard. It's, it's historic. I, there's no other way to describe what's happening right now. Uh, to have five constitutional officers who are women, uh, it, we're changing the way that government looks. We are changing uh, the opportunities for future generations of, of girls and young women who are looking up to see what, what they want to do with their lives. It, it, it just, as you can tell, I'm very excited about what's happening, not only because they're women, uh, because they are extraordinarily talented experienced, smart people who can do this job because of the experience that they have and it, what they're able to bring to this position. It's the American it's dream. It, it, you know, you can get, um, you can do what you work hard to, to achieve and uh, you will get the opportunity to do it if you work hard enough. And uh, gender... No matter and, if you're a man or a woman. That exactly. Is, or any, you know, wherever yeah. you are. I, I, I never exactly forget exactly. that I was born in 1950, Natalie, and, and in 1950, that was the year that women were first allowed to sit on juries in Massachusetts. Wow. <laughs> it wow. was in my lifetime is when, when that, I, I always shake my head and say, well, really? Why not? Well, they were thought, you know, they were men's property and they didn't, they, they were thought not to have the capability of making important judgments. What? Well, uh, we've seen that recently with Roe. You know, in our in people's lifetimes, uh, it has significant. People fought for women's rights and the the opportunity for women to choose what to do with their own bodies. We're, we've seen that being attacked right now in our lifetimes. And uh, you know, to your point, we hopefully need it's going to come back and and, and <laughs> yeah. bite the court and those who who uh, throughout the uh, yeah. twenty twenty six states that are trying to uh, completely reverse uh, a series of rights that uh, we have all come to regard as correctly afforded to 51% of our population. Yeah. It's insane. More than that. I mean, there's a whole lot of men who also, their lives are impacted horrifically when the, the right to, uh, when reproductive rights are, are curtailed. But, but well, anyway, I, I don't... No, go ahead. No, I just, I, it, it is about an entire community coming together to do what's right. And we have seen that here in Massachusetts. And I, I really hope that we see this in more states across our nation who can do what we did here in Massachusetts uh, to take those votes that make all of us leaders in this nation when the federal government is not showing up uh, to support what the majority of citizens in our states believe. Well said, right well do. said. Well, so my fingers, my toes, I don't have enough digits to cross uh, <laughs> about November 8th. And, you know, my hope is that across this country, um, we find out just um, how, how most citizens, regardless of gender, uh, yeah. feel about uh, the right to control your own body and the role that government shouldn't play in making those decisions. So, 
hopefully we'll see that. We are going to only have about a couple of minutes before we break, but I want to introduce and ask you uh, about what I want to talk about after the break, and that is people are going back to school. And, uh, <laughs> and you, I know, have worked really hard, cared deeply about rural schools, um, that commission that you sat on with Adam Hines representing this region, all the work that you did, a report came out of that. And I want to talk to you about where we're at in that regard. Um, can, but in the minute and, we ha- and a half we have before we break, uh, let, let me do, I think that the question is funding, isn't it? Isn't that primarily the question? It, with rural schools, yes. Uh, the costs that we are, we are seeing with our rural schools, um, it, there's no economy of scale just by virtue of the population that we have. And so it is really looking at the financials and recognizing that um, it, we just we need more assistance in order to ensure that every single student in our entire Commonwealth has the same opportunity. And that's what this report is about. Is when you really read uh, about this issue, you know, and we're, we talk about the declining enrollments, we talk about lack of broadband and transportation costs that uh, just keep rising and the economies of scale that you talk about as enrollments go down, the cost per student becomes prohibitive. It's being borne by uh, local property taxes, which is an unfair burden on localities. Um, uh, Folks, everybody should remember that the first free public school in the United States was in the 1630s in Boston, Massachusetts. (laughs) The first time that the state actually voted to fund a private school was Boston Latin. It was 201 years ago. It was in 1821 in Boston. It was Boston Latin School, which still exists and has uh, a, a proud history of of uh, educating some superstars that, that went on to become superstars and in all different realms. Uh, public education is, I think, I don't know too many people who... As crazy as the world is now, as many deniers there are of science, and most people want to see a good education for their kids. Um, most rational. Because, well, because all of our kids are superstars. Bottom wow, line. what a great place to break. <laughs> all of our kids are superstars. We just need to give them a chance to shine. Yes, yes. We're talking with Natalie Blay, uh, representative from the First Franklin. We're going to be back in just a minute. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Voting as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think, is a huge advance. 1401-1400. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. 
everyone, Gordon Oliver here, and if you don't know me, I'm the host of the weekly Saturday show, The Cambridge Connection, on WHMP.com and wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. For the last year, I've been privileged to connect you, our listeners, with experts from a variety of financial industries and organizations that offer assistance and education to help everyone become more financially fit. See you on Saturday. Happy one-year anniversary. Join Gordy, Tina Marie, and guest Christopher Vialli as they celebrate one year of the Cambridge Connection here on WHMP. Join Mark Patrick Seminars and lose the weight guaranteed for only $49.99. Hypnosis designed to stop disordered eating and cravings. Also, you can stop smoking with Mark Patrick Seminars. Hypnosis can destroy your desire to smoke without cravings, irritability, and weight gain, or your money back. Join the over half million others who have attended. Seminars are Monday, October 3rd at Hotel Northampton. The weight loss seminar is at 5.30 and the stop smoking seminar is at 8 p.m. Go to markpatrickseminars.com to learn more. When I was a kid, a bowl of cereal seemed incomplete unless it was topped with sliced bananas. And we knew where our bananas came from. They came from Chiquita. Our pineapples came from Dole. And our oranges came from Sunkist. We didn't think much about it, but we do now. We want food that hasn't spent a lot of time on a truck or in a processing plant. Around here, it's hard to miss the Local Hero label. Local Hero makes it quick and easy to identify food raised right here in Western Mass. Local Hero is part of CESA, Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture. And Local Hero is just one of the things that CESA does to help Western Mass farms thrive. CESA helps build a strong local food system, working with farmers, stores, restaurants, so all of us have fresh local food choices. Look for the bright yellow Local Hero label and think about becoming a CESA supporter. Go to buylocalfood.org, find out what CESA does and why it's worth supporting, and bon appetit. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than a thousand members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Representative Natalie Blay, who um, I know what runs dear to her heart and to her professional efforts uh, since she was first elected, is the, the problems that are confronted by rural schools and uh, the commission that she has worked on and with in order to find solutions for rural schools. So uh, I want I want to get back to that. Where you made a series of recommendations in the report. Can you just sort of share with us what the recommendations are and where you're going to go from here, Natalie? Thank you. Yeah, there were 36 recommendations to be precise. Uh, and I, I I just have to thank the commission members and certainly Senator Adam Hines, who was elected before I came into office, who really laid the groundwork. Uh, in terms of beginning to raise the flag on the challenges that our rural schools are facing. He was able to get the commissioner of DESE uh, to come out and it, at, to Mohawk and to talk about the real fiscal challenges that are very specific 
to our rural schools. And that is the beginning of an, an analysis that really looked at how our rural schools are being challenged. Uh, there was a report that was put out at that time, and it, it really laid the groundwork for rural school aid, which so many of our schools have benefited from. When the Student Opportunity Act passed, we recognized how many uh, students and families and teachers and school districts uh, and parents that this this would benefit, but there were still districts that were going to be left behind. And thankfully, uh, we were able to make the case, you know, Senator Hines, Senator Comerford, myself, and many others made the case that we needed to form a commission to look at the challenges that are facing our rural school districts. Uh, and that was the genesis of the Rural Schools Commission. And uh, I have to thank the commission members again from across the entire Commonwealth who gave so much of their time and expertise to help us to develop these 36 recommendations. Um, it It's going to take all of us working together, uh, whether you are a parent or a student or a school administrator, uh, to move these recommendations forward. This is really just the beginning. Um, and so I, we're trying to bring everybody in together to, to advance these recommendations in the report. It does. It, it, all of us should be, whether, you know, I'm in my seventies, I've got grandchildren, not in this jurisdiction, but I know that every town meeting we go to, usually about 55% of our budget is involving schools. And and whether you have children or not there, we're committed to education. We love the idea of an educated workforce. We love the idea of the opportunity it provides for the next generation that we're going to be relying on to, to do the kind of work that you, Natalie Blay, do. And, and I just, the other thing is it's so holistic, the problems. Many of us think that if we pass legislation that really creates a kind of west-east rail um, uh, possibilities that we, that we think are out there and uh, provide broadband for every community, I, I think we can attract more people so that the under-enrollment problem at least gets softened a little. It's pretty harsh right now, right? No, you've just you've <laughs> you've nailed it right on the head. You know, as as we had Secretary of State, you know, the census results came out right when we when we when we began to learn about the loss of population in Franklin and Berkshire counties. Secretary of State Galvin came out and said, "If we do not begin to invest in Western Massachusetts, we are going to continue to see this decline." We had Auditor Bump come out and say, if we do not invest in infrastructure here in Western Massachusetts, we are going to continue to see this population decline. If we do not invest in our schools, we are not going to be able to attract people, to attract families uh, who want to live here, who want to contribute to our communities and to be parts of really vibrant, heart-filled places like Ashfield uh, in so many of the communities across Western Massachusetts, uh, if we don't have those strong school systems, it's going to be increasingly difficult to bring people to this region to reverse this trend. And that's what we really have to be thinking about as we're talking about the future of Western Massachusetts when it comes to economic development and jobs and, and education. It is such a critical piece of all of the challenges that we're trying to address. And, 
you know, this is a small piece, but it's a big one, and we have to work together to uh, to move these recommendations forward. Well, like so many things, um, that it seems that we're all relearning lessons that we should have learned a long time ago. Mm. We mm-hmm. should be able to rely on science. We should be able to uh, understand how precious our democracy is and how we all have to um, roll up our sleeves and continue to work on it if we want it to survive. And we have to commit ourselves to education because that's where our future lies, whatever yeah. our age. And it's people like you, Natalie Blay, that uh, we know are out there fighting that fight for us. And um, I'm so grateful every time I get a chance to talk to you, I just uh, get more grateful for the effort that you're making. Buzz, if I could just add one thing here. Uh, this is Dan. I I think the, the issue is that this is all going to come down to how does the state handle the housing affordability crisis that exists yeah. throughout the state? Because yeah. here, here. even if you have attractive schools, that's going to make more people go in there. It's going to make oh. it less affordable to live there. So it's like a how do you how does oh, one solve one problem with which then will unlock solving other no, problems? You're you're right on. And the bottom line with that piece of it is so many policies in the Commonwealth are not right sized to Western Massachusetts. If we're talking about affordable mm. housing, whether it's senior affordable housing or affordable housing in general, we don't need big buildings full right. of affordable housing. We need five units or ten units. In, in our communities to be able mm. to make a real difference. And the bottom line is that our state programs are not built to address what we need here in Massachusetts to solve the challenges that we are facing. And I am really grateful to be working alongside so many great colleagues here in Western Massachusetts and newly elected who are going into new roles uh, in these open seats that will help bring their voices to this as we try to continue to make our voices heard on Beacon Hill. Her name is Representative Natalie Blay. I am so grateful that she's uh, my representative in the 1st Franklin District, and I know how hard you're working for us and will continue to do it. Thank you for joining us again, Natalie. Thanks, Buzz, and thanks, Dan, for bringing up affordable housing. No problem. All right. All right. Have a good weekend, everybody. You too. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we got Duke Goldman, and we're going to be talking about, we're going to continue the conversation about women in politics. Well, how about women in sports? We're going to be back with Duke just a minute. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia held a press conference yesterday to address violence in his city. That's what makes me lose sleep every single night. What is it can I do currently to help intervene and prevent the next murder or prevent the next situation? And ShotSpotter is just one tool in the toolbox. City councilors continue to debate the merit of investing in ShotSpotter technology, a device that would allow the police department to locate where and when guns are fired. The city council tabled a discussion on receiving grant funding for the program. As some expressed concern, it could bring police disproportionately to black and brown communities. Despite losing the Democratic primary for Hampshire County Sheriff, Yvonne Gittleson is continuing her campaign. 
Gittleson announced she will continue as a write-in candidate for the November 8th election. Gittleson says it was abundantly clear that the incumbent did not receive a majority of votes cast, and she believes voters want a two-person race. The driver involved in a hit-and-run accident in Southwick Wednesday night is facing multiple charges. Southwick police responded to College Highway near Jared Lane after a 16-year-old pedestrian was struck by a vehicle. The vehicle did not stop for the teen and then fled the scene. Police were able to locate the vehicle involved and its driver sometime before 11 p.m. The victim was taken to the hospital and treated for multiple minor injuries. And the Taste of Northampton returns after 18 years from noon to 7 p.m. tomorrow. Over 30 food and beverage vendors are participating. Main Street from Thorns to the intersection of King and Pleasant Streets will be closed to traffic from Saturday. In every home and every community. Be careful in your bike. Learning can happen anytime, anywhere. Hi guys. We'll see you at breakfast this weekend. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. Hi, I'm Missy Tetro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Have we got some exciting news for you. I'm Mortgage Originator Jessica Eau Claire. We're extending our offer to save up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. And I'm mortgage originator Kimberly Gates. There's still time to get $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Start your application now at bestlocalbank.com or come see us in person at one of our convenient locations. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Kimberly Gates. Or me, Jessica Eau Claire, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer, or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender. Member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. I was born by the river in a little tent. Oh, and just like the river, I've been running ever since. It's been a long, a long time. been a long time coming it's perfect we talked with natalie blay 
in the first segment, and we talked about this incredible panel of Democratic nominees for statewide and regional office here in Massachusetts. And just let me do it really quickly again. For governor, uh, Democrats have uh, nominated Maura Healey. For Lieutenant Governor, Kim Driscoll, the mayor of Salem, a woman. For Attorney General, Andrea Campbell, the former president of the Boston City Council, a woman. For Auditor, Diana DeZoglio, a senator, a woman. For Treasurer, Deb Goldberg, a woman. For Governor Council, Tara Jacobs, the school committee member from uh, North Adams, a woman. Uh, only Bill Gavin, Galvin, who is a permanent fixture in our polity um, as Secretary of State, uh, he did uh, win handily over Tanisha Sullivan, a, an African-American woman. But we are obviously moving closer to that time that we all dream about, where the American dream uh, of wanting to do that which you, wanting the opportunity to do that which you want to do um, is realized. And uh, fortunately, we have our segment today as a, as a follow to our conversation with Natalie is Fair Play. We have Duke Goldman, the sports writer and social commentator who himself is talking about gender uh, equity, I guess. Hello, Duke. Hey, Buzz. How's it going? going really well. I'm excited to hear what your research and your thinking is in this important, two of my favorite things, sports and women. Yes. Well, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm calling this segment is women can and have participated in pro team sports, and they should be, and I think will be, participating more. Okay? And how did I get involved in this, I think is an interesting story and gives a little background. So in 2012, I went to, I'm a, as many of you have heard me talk in both on, on your show, Buzz, and on Bill Newman's show, uh, a Negro Leagues historian. And I was at a conference um, about the Negro Leagues, and I met Donna De Verona. Now, your, your um, older listeners will know who she is. Like Probably, me. Yeah, the, other, the younger ones, like Dan, for instance, here, might not know who Donna De Verona is. I'm offended by that. There is something <laughs> called the Internet, and okay. I did look it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, Donna De Verona is now 75 years old. But believe it or not, she participated in the 1960 Olympics in Rome when she was 13 years old. And then in 1964, she was the Olympic gold medalist in the 400-meter inter intermediate medley, as well as one of the relays. She then became one of the first women sportscasters on ABC Wild, Wide World of Sports. A lot of us, again, remember that. The agony of defeat. The agony of defeat, right? At the age of 17, okay? And in the late 70s, she established an organization that still exists today, the Women's Sports Foundation with Billie Jean King and was the first president. The thrill of victory. Yes. So I met her. I drove in a car with her and chatted with her and heard a bit of her story. Not just her story. I met a few other women athletes who were at this conference, including a woman who's not well known. Her name is Katherine Kustner. She was the first licensed woman jockey in America. Wow. And this goes well back into the 60s. And, you know, the stories are familiar, right? Women trying to break through, women trying to find a place in, in America where they're given a chance to compete, participate, be involved, show their skills, show their talents, right? It seemed like an individual sports had more opportunities, just like for African Americans in, in let's say, early uh, 20th century. You know, team sports were a lot harder to break into. So I've wanted to talk about women in sports ever since. And my orientation, though, is in 
towards team sports. And being a member of SABRE, the Society of American Baseball Research, we have a, 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 an organization in our society that is about women in sports. And actually, next weekend, we are going to have a virtual conference, a Women in Baseball conference that is co-sponsored by SABRE and the International Women Baseball's uh, a conference. And it's from September 16th to 18th. And the theme is Title IX and Women's Baseball, Where We've Been and Where We Are Headed. Mm. So I just wanted to let any of you know, if you go to to the uh, Sabre website, www.sabr.org. Anybody, if you, for a relatively nominal fee, could attend this thing and hear great presentations. So I've, I've been involved with that a little bit too. And um, what I wanted to talk about then today is about professional basketball, professional football, and professional baseball, and illuminate the listeners about the remarkable amount of participation women have already had in these professional sports, but also how much more is in the pipeline. And particularly timing, timely because of what's going on with the WNBA playoffs. Um, we now know who the finalists are and have had the opportunity to watch some incredibly accomplished athletes playing women's basketball at that level. We're about to start the football season, very timely in that regard, and baseball playoffs are around the corner. Correct. And... Um, I'm I'm feeling like the WNBA is is just about to take off. I hope so because they I remember when when you know Old Dominion was a national champion and um it was not fun to watch. Right. Well, back when is this back when they the women were only allowed three dribbles or you know, I mean I mean it's crazy to think the game they played then and the game they play now I would argue is better than the men's game. In so many ways it is so exciting to watch it's, them play. They play as a team. The men play as one-on-one. And they play under the rim. Right. And it's cool, all right? Well, there was an article in The Ringer, which is a very interesting um, online resource for sports articles, about Becky Hammond today, right? Because the finals between um, the uh, Las Vegas Aces, who Becky Hammond coaches against the Connecticut Storm, start right now. And Becky Hammond is a, a, a seminal figure in women's sports because Becky Hammond was a six-time WNBA All-Star but she was also hired by Greg Popovich, a great coach for the San Antonio Spurs, um, in 2013, 2014. And in 2015, she won a summer championship for the Spurs. And she was talked about as potentially the first woman NBA coach. She hasn't gotten that opportunity yet. She apparently interviewed for jobs with the Orlando Magic and the Portland Trail Blazers back when they existed. I, I just want to interrupt you, Doug. D Duke, not Doug. Because I remember when she was hired, and I remember the press conference, and sometimes Popovich can be so acerbic in his responses and intolerant of questions. And when he was asked if he was doing it to further women in sports, he said, I'm doing it because she's a good coach. Exactly, and she is. Oh, and I misspoke a moment ago. Somehow, Portland Trailblazers still exist. Um, Seattle team doesn't exist. I moved to Oklahoma City. But anyway, so she's been passed over those jobs but she got a job coaching the Las Vegas Aces, and she's got them right at the edge of winning the championship. And what this article describes is how I, I actually believe most coaches don't make a heck of a difference. I think that it's really about the players. But there are those rare coaches. Popovich is one of them, and Becky Hammond apparently is one too. And I tell people, read about this. She apparently dis designed three plays to bring her team um, in the semifinals back from a four-point deficit with 33 seconds left. And she, she's just really good. Now, this article also goes on to bring up a very interesting question. Is it really the key thing here that she becomes an NBA coach? 
Or is it just, you know, she's great as a WNBA coach. And, you know, maybe what needs to happen more is that the WNBA needs to be recognized as an important league in its own right. Well, that's for sure. Yeah. So, but I think it would also be great if and, and I think and she just will has get to that be, position. Poor Brittany Griner, every time, yeah. you know, there's so much to talk about in that regard, which we probably don't have time for today, but she shouldn't have to go abroad to make the kind of money. Right. There's just too much money in men's basketball and not nearly enough in women's. Do you know what Becky Hammond is making as coach? I can't. She's making a million a year. Oh, she is? Yes. And this is where women are starting to make breakthroughs in Well, that. that must mean that they have a fan base that supports they, they those must, kind of salaries. And they recognize how valuable a property she has. And hopefully at some point the NBA Because it sure is entertaining, it. entertaining to watch the product. It is. Yeah. Um, now... Here's what's interesting. Pro basketball in so many ways is ahead of the other sports. Pro basketball hired two women referees in 1997. The first one, Violet Palmer, an African-American, and the second one, Dee Kantner. And they're both now retired. But now there are no fewer than six women on the 75-person full-time staff and four part-time and two fill-ins. So there are 12 women who are at times uh, refereeing basketball games in the NBA. Now, that may, may not sound like a lot, but that's we're talking from zero. Yeah, we're at 10%. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. So the NBA has made progress, all right? Um, the NFL itself has five full-time female refs. The first one was in 2015, a woman named Lauren Holtkamp Sterling, right? Again, a start. How many does Major League Baseball have? How many umpires... Women, are there in Major League Baseball? Um, is the answer zero? The answer is zero. There never has been one. Never. And I love baseball. You all know that. Baseball, in many ways, is a Neanderthal you know when it comes yeah. to women and and comes to uh, people of color these days where it has very low participation rates and when it comes to sexuality because there's been Wait, no open are, Major League are you saying player. Are you saying the players or are you saying no, the, the referees? The, because isn't the... The baseball pretty diverse in terms of the Latino and African American. Oh population. yeah, but not Latino. in terms of African American. It's less oh, African Americans. I think it's now less than eight percent. And then there are no umpires who are women. There has oh, never okay. been a woman umpire. umpire. While you have a significant number in basketball and football, I think baseball has to mm. has have their feet held to the fire. How mm. come it hasn't happened yet? That's a really good question. It, it, you know, that just, I, thinking about what the obligations are, what the duties are. I can't think of one reason why we would, wouldn't have women. And I'll talk about it later. There was a woman who umpired at the top minor league level, Pam Postema, for six years. In fact, I think she was a, a, uh, a chief of, a, of you know, because they have umpires who have more seniority who are the head umpire. And she actually umpired in an exhibition game of the major leagues, and she got passed over and never got the opportunity. Mm. So, but before we go to that, I want to talk about pro football. And I don't know if we want to... Talk about that after the break. Or, That's but, a really good suggestion. We're going to take a break. It's just going to be for a couple of minutes. I am so fascinated by what we're talking about, Duke. Uh, so everyone just stay with us. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about pro football and women players and administrators right after this. Happy talk. Keep talking happy talk. Talk about things you'd like to do. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Another murder in Holyoke. How will the city respond? We'll be speaking with the mayor, Joshua Garcia. 
And then local author Ellen Mirapol about her new book set at Northampton State Hospital. Please join us Monday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Feed the birds naturally. Winesick Nursery has trees and plants that can feed backyard birds. Choose plants that produce berries like dogwood, service berries, cherries, and blueberries. These also attract caterpillars, the preferred food for baby birds during nesting season. Invite hummingbirds and butterflies to your yard with bergamot, red columbine, honeysuckle, clethra, and viburnum, just to name a few. Get plants, feeders, seed, and everything you need for the birds at Winesick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and at winesicknursery.com. We are for the birds. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Forbes Library Outreach Delivery Service caters to residents of any age who are homebound due to short or long-term disability in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. A volunteer will deliver your specific requests or select materials for you based on your interests. We offer books, magazines, CDs, DVDs, and puzzles. Call 413-587-1019 or sign up at ForbesLibrary.org outreach. We're now a mile and a half above the Greenfield drinking supply. There is a uh, dump that's been up here probably for many decades. So we're interested in drawing attention to this. As I said, it is a source of the Greenfield drinking supply. So this is the Whetstone Brook. It's one of the tributaries to the Connecticut River. It flows up from the hills at like Hogback and Marlborough down east until it meets the Connecticut River right in the middle of downtown Brattleboro. It's pretty heavily impacted when it gets into town here it's an urban river. Like all of our waterways, it deserves our care and attention. The Connecticut River Conservancy's Source to Sea Cleanup is September 23rd and 24th. It's Monty. You can join me on the 24th for the Green River portion of the cleanup or find a cleanup near you by going to ctriver.org. The Northampton Radio Group's support of the Source to Sea Cleanup is made possible by UMass Five College Credit Union and USA Waste and Recycling. Join the Source to Sea Cleanup. Sign up at ctriver.org. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back. We are talking fair play uh, with Duke uh, Goldman. And what we're talking about is pro football and women. Um, do you think, is there going to be a time when women are actually going to be uh affiliated in any way with the NFL? Well, I guess what I would say is affiliated, yes. They're, it's not likely they're going to play in the NFL. I mean, if they did, it would be something like a kicker. They're, I mean, you know, NFL players have grown to monstrous sizes. They're almost as big as sumo wrestlers these days. And you can't have women on a field where a 400-pound guy might fall on top. You're right. Smaller men are, are barred from playing. Yeah, they're, they're not there anymore. So, But what's interesting is 
Women have played professional football Stop in it, their Duke. own leagues. When? Yes. In the 1970s, there was a league called the National Women's Football League. And there is a new book out that I recommend. I bought it in Broadside, Broadside Books, and it's called We Are the Troopers, the Women of the Winningest Team in Pro Football History by a guy named Stephen Guinan, who grew up in Toledo. And the Toledo Troopers won seven championships in the 1970s. And their coach, Bill Stout, is to this day the winningest coach by percentage in pro football history. How many teams were in these in this league? It varied a lot. You know, the league lasted something like nine or ten years, and they had sometimes at the beginning they had four teams, but I think they added teams, you know. And it didn't last, but it did gain attention. It was covered in the press. They had varying crowds, but sometimes they were pretty big. Um, their first championship that Toledo won, they played in the Dallas Cowboys football stadium, and they drew a pretty substantial crowd. And these women were playing tackle football. Somebody I mentioned it to today said, oh, were they playing flag football? No. And there was a woman as big as 250 pounds, this is in the 1970s, remember, that were on that team. These women were athletes, and they were tackling, and they were hitting, and they were trained in the same way that male professional football players were trained. They played hard. Um, There were women who threw 50 yards plus and had great arms, and this team was an excellent team. I just have to ask my... Our son was the quarterback of a Mohawk team. Um, he was going to be the backup, but the quarterback got hurt. So he played nine of the ten games as a starting quarterback. He's now 6'2". His hands were just not big enough for the football. He couldn't grab it and pass it in the same way that someone with large hands can. So did they have a different size football for the quarterback who... You know, I don't want to answer that with a yes or no. I've only read half the book, I have to admit. (laughs) I have not seen it mentioned in that book, and I had never heard about this before, so I had not researched that. It it seems like it could have been, but I don't know. Because as we were just talking about before the break, we were talking about basketball and the incredible level of skill at the skill positions in football, catching the ball, the throwing the ball, the running the ball. I can't imagine that women aren't just as accomplished as men, but the size really does. Size does matter, and in the WNBA and in women's basketball, the basketball is smaller. Now, let's segue a bit to baseball. And baseball is where there has been quite a bit of women's participation in professional sports through the years. And the most famous, of course, is the AAGPBL, um, the American Girls Professional Baseball League. Now, when that league started in 1943, they had a 12-inch baseball, a big ball. They were throwing from the mound underhanded from 40 feet, and the bases were 65 feet apart. But in 1954, the last year, they were using an official Major League Baseball. They were throwing overhand from 60 feet, 6 inches, and the bases were 85, not 90, but only 5 feet less apart. And the women were phenomenal. Now, I will tell you that only near the end did they really have women power hitters. It was really a pitching-dominated game. There were pitchers who had ERAs of below one who were regular pitchers, meaning they gave up one earned run, uh, less than one earned run per nine innings, which is unheard of in Major League Baseball. Even Jacob deGrom doesn't get there. Um, but these, this, this league became closer and closer to a, a 
counterpart to Major League Baseball, except it was ended because uh, the guy who started it, William Wrigley, who was the Philip, actually Philip Wrigley, who was the owner then of the Chicago Cubs, uh, was no longer interested. It was started in World War II. But you know what, Buzz? What? There were women who played minor league professional men's baseball. So that's my question, Duke Goldman, to you. Uh, I wish we had more time. We don't. We only have a minute left. But do you foresee a time when women will actually be able to take the field in professional major league baseball? Yes. The answer is yes, as a pitcher. And we'll talk about that on Tuesday, won't we? Can't wait. Tuesday will be Bill's on vacation. Bill Newman is on vacation. And I will have the distinct honor once again of continuing a conversation with Duke Goldman in this case, about women and sports. It's a critical question, not just because it's about women and sports. It's about opportunity. It's about what we all want to see for every person in this country. If you're good enough, let them play. That's it. I couldn't agree more. So that's it. It's been a great week. Uh, Next week, we have a really good week. On Monday, please uh, join us with uh, law professor emeritus Bruce Miller. There's so much going on. On Tuesday, Alex Kazem from the Center for New Americans We'll be talking about the uh, updating us on Afghan resettlement and then the full circle adoptions we'll talk about on Wednesday. But Tuesday, join us on the Bill Newman Show at 9 a.m. Duke Goldman and I will continue talking about social justice, equality, and sports. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Have a great weekend. It's going to be a beautiful tomorrow. Enjoy every minute of it. And we'll see you on Monday. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. A long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank, with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. GreenfieldSavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. How long and how hard would you work to own your own home? Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.